Uhuru. Uhuru, and welcome. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black Power 96.3 FM WBPU in St. Petersburg, Florida, now available as a podcast as well. You can follow Reparations in Action on Podbean at uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. Reparations in Action is the weekly program of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, the organization of white people who work under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, organizing in the white community to build the movement for reparations to African people. I want to welcome everyone who's tuning back in today on March 17, 2020. I want to welcome my co-host, Chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess. Uhuru. Uhuru. Great to be here. It's excellent to have you today. And also in the studio with me is uh, today our engineer extraordinaire and co-host, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, Jesse Neville. Uhuru, Jesse. Uhuru, Jamie, glad to be here. Great to be on the air. And Uhuru to Chairwoman Penny Hess. Uhuru, USM Chair Jesse, and of course to Jamie, our amazing, our amazing MC. Yes, my name is Jamie Simpson, uh, your, your host today. And um, it's an honor to be here. I want to start off, as we always do, by saluting the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, Chairman Omalia Shatella, whose vision allows us to be here uh, working under the leadership of the African Revolution. I want to salute Deputy Chair Onazene Yeshatella, the uh, visionary on-the-ground leader of the Economic Reliance uh, Self-Determination Programs of the African People's Socialist Party, and salute the entire Central Committee of the African People's Socialist Party, the African People's Solidarity Committee, and Black Power 96.3 FM WBPU in St. Petersburg for allowing us to have this platform of an hour every Tuesday at 12 noon, and the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the nonprofit which uh, guides this station, whose mission statement is to address the grave disparities in human and civil rights faced by the African community, as well as grave disparities in education, health, and health care faced by the Black community. So why are we, a bunch of white people, in a Black Power radio station talking to you today? Our goal is to address the white people who may be listening out there to Black Power 96, whether it's here in St. Petersburg or online, and let you know that there is a role for you within the African liberation movement if you unite with reparations. And today is a critical time to unite with African people, with the African working class, with colonized people, because we are experiencing a, a an imperialist imposed crisis known as coronavirus or uh, COVID-19 as it's being called in the media. So today we're going to take on this question of what corona, coronavirus is, what its effects are going to be on African and other colonized people, and the question of colonialism and counterinsurgency. So we want to start off um, by introducing my co-host, Chairwoman of the African People Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess. Well, Uhuru, thank you, Jamie and Jesse. And I want to join in saluting Chairman Omalia Shatella, leader of the African Socialist International, chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, that is incredible, leading the struggle for the total liberation of Africa and African people everywhere. I want to salute Deputy Chair Onisanea Shatella, who is the deputy chair of the party and under whose office so many of us in the, in the African People's Solidarity Committee have the honor of working. I want to salute Director Akile Anai, 
who leads up Agiprop and this station. I want to salute Dr. Aisha Fields from the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project that is leading this fight back against the coronavirus to serve the people. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So it's an honor to be here on Black Power 96.3 FM and to know what a tool this is in the hands of the African working class. So, you know, I just wanted to say that the struggle for African liberation goes on. It never stops. The deepening crisis of imperialism doesn't stop it. In fact, that's when the struggle has to deepen, and it is. And this coronavirus and the effects that it has, and it is a deadly, deadly situation that is not stopping the party. It's a good but dangerous time for all of those on the front lines in the struggle against colonialism, imperialism, parasitic capitalism. And the response that the African People's Socialist Party has created um, against the COVID-19, the coronavirus, is called the People's War, the People's War. And it, it is, it is a, a stance to continue to serve, organize, and give information to the African working class to defend the people for what we, for the colonial situation that exists every day for African people and what we know will deepen as this unfolds. Uh, and we'll talk, we're gonna talk about that a lot today, but the party is dedicated to being the servants and the leaders of the African working class. And this is a people's war against something that the party has defined as bio-warfare. Bio-warfare, we had a whole um, uh, web show on it last Saturday night that put out a lot of information through the analysis of the African People's Socialist Party, African internationalism, and through the understandings of Chairman Omalia Shatella. Comrade Jesse and I went on and just gave a lot of information and history and recorded fact about this question of biowarfare. And I really urge you, you can go to Uhuru Solidarity's YouTube channel on, uh, on YouTube, check out that whole presentation and discussion, um, which of course was based on presentations made by Chairman Omalia Shatella and he will be continuing to address this, this question. Because the charge of biowarfare is not conspiracy theory, but it's based on the US government's use of biological germs as weapons of war and weapons of colonial domination for hundreds of years. You know, we can, we can look at, um, at, at the US government giving smallpox infested blankets to indigenous people as part of the European white genocide against African, African people. You know, we can look at what was called the Tuskegee quote experiment, the imposition of syphilis into the African community in Tuskegee, Alabama that um, they were infected with syphilis and then never told for, I, I think it was more than 30 years. So it of course deeply affected the families, the community, 
um, you know, just this, this horrible colonial assault on African people using germs, using uh, bio-warfare. In that case, there was Dr. Death in South Africa, who was a white doctor who used, who really created, the, who used the lead, the kinds of things that the U.S. had done and continues to do to create and target the DNA of specific populations, such as, of course, African people who were struggling to be free and liberated on the front lines of Southern Africa in that period. So all of this is recorded fact. This is not some kind of, of, of conspiracy or crazy kind of thing. This is history. You can, you can document it, you can Google it, you can find it in books such as Medical Apartheid, uh, by Harriet Washington and many other things about the MK Ultra, the M the um, opera. Uhuru, uh, listeners, you're listening to Reparations in Action. We're on the programs line. of the CIA that were used specifically. Uhuru, you can't. Can you hear me? Now, we're now you're talking about MK Ultra and the CIA. <laughs> okay, yeah, unfortunately, it's not too good of a thing. But I'm just saying that, you know, bio-warfare is a, a real thing. It's documented. The U.S. has used it over and over since the very, very, very beginning. And it is recorded. You can, you can look it up. And there is much evidence to, to show that the coronavirus was a biological attack against China. It came at the same time that the US government and Pompeo, uh, Secretary General Pompeo, were going around the world attacking China, telling people um, not to trade with them. The US was, had put sanctions on them and was doing everything possible to destroy theirs, um, you know, their economy. And so this is normal in a system built on a massive assault on African people turning the African people into commodities for sale, into work machines, human trafficking, everything that parasitic capitalism is built on, genocide, plunder, slaughter, rape, and occupation. This is everyday life. And if we look around, this is what is happening. So war strategy is also on the ground in occupied Asania, South Africa, in Europe and all throughout the United States and African communities as part of the struggle, uh, a unifying force of, of the struggle of African people to fight to be free and liberated and destroy U.S. colonial domination and be able to win back what is theirs, what has been stolen from them, win reparations, liberate the entire continent of Africa as one country under the leadership of the African working class, true socialism. Wow. And, you know, for us, I just want to say in fighting this period and taking on this period, this is something where the question of reparations is deeper than ever. And, you know, it's something that we have to continue to support and turn over resources to the party's institutions, which are profound institutions of self-reliance, do for self, self-sufficiency, people's power. It is dual and contending power um, here in St. Louis with the Black Power Blueprint and all of the institutions, some of which have had to close because of the impact of the coronavirus. So 
this is the time to turn over the resources. Go to blackpowerblueprint.org and you can see everything that's going on. Pay reparations and really thousands of dollars. Turn it over. Turn it over to this one um, project, this huge project of the African People's Socialist Party, which is changing the world, which is negating capitalism, parasitic capitalism. So I just wanted to get into, okay, go ahead. I just really appreciate that, Chairwoman Penny. Um, I, I appreciate you putting that out. I appreciate the African People's Socialist Party for coming up with the concept of the People's War campaign in response to the coronavirus, mm -hmm. in response to yes. clearly a U.S. biological weapon, uh, any way you want to slice it. Yes. Uh, based on the track record, I, I know that um, in, in addition to various institutions being closed down, some of those include schools, include universities, mm -hmm. primary schools. My daughter's home from school. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife is a teacher. She's, uh, she's not going to work right now. So we've got a lot of people that are home and panicked and watching the news respond in a very military-like way as mm -hmm. quite kept as inconsistent as the response has been. They're talking about this as a war. They're talking about this as yeah. that we as citizens need to come up in some sort of patriotic way and fight coronavirus as, as if we're fighting a war. Um, so to reframe it as an anti-colonial campaign designed to explode a people's war. That, yes, that is very so powerful. Tiring. Yeah, it, it really breaks up some of the isolation and panic that can start to seep into us if, if we just listen to the bourgeois media and think only of our immediate circumstances. So. Yes, yes. This is, this is part of the crisis of imperialism that Chairman O'Malley Shatella has defined. And I just wanted to give a little information. You know, um, Trump is out there having press conferences almost every day, yesterday and today, this morning. And um, there, there was a, an article in the New York Times yesterday, and I think it's still there, about a British report that was done, I think at Oxford or Cambridge, and it was, um, it was done on the statistical modeling of, of um, epidemiological models, et cetera, for pandemics. And it's specifically talking about the conditions of the coronavirus. And it's saying that, and actually has a link to that study in, in the article or in the New York Times, as at any case, and you can read it, but it cited the study, and it said that that if not treated, up to 2.2 million people in the U.S. will die from this virus. In the U.S., they're talking about, and if treated in a serious way, more than a million people will die. And so that means that you know that means that at least half of the population will get this. That's what they're predicting. That's, we're gonna talk about that more. Angela Merkel came on in, um, in Germany and told the people, you're probably gonna get this because the same modeling of you know, statistics put that Germany, 70% of the, the people, the population of Germany will get, will get this disease. So, you know, it's very serious. It's bio-warfare. It, they have no cure for it. They, it's called a novel coronavirus because they haven't seen it before. It's never existed before. The COVID-19 is the specific description or title 
of this particular germ of the coronavirus family, which includes even the common cold, flu, etc. So in any case, we're talking about the fact that, you know, a, hundred, a million people could die, 2.2 million people could die in this country. A lot of people are going to get it. You know, we're seeing, we're just in the very, very onset of this. We're in the infancy of this pandemic, of this situation here, this epidemic inside the United States. And, and of course, that what we're going to see is that the U.S. methods of taking this on, which are brutal, are going to come down against the African population and indigenous peoples and others who live under colonial domination inside the United States in a very, very, very drastic way. And, you know, we can say, well, oh, really? Well, yeah, because people live under these conditions anyway. And, you know, we're going to talk about what happened to Africans under Hurricane Katrina, also under Hurricane Harvey a couple of years ago in Texas and to African people in Haiti and all the places where for white people, it's a quote, natural disaster for African people. It's an incredible assault, a colonial assault, a deepening of colonial violence against the people. And also an increase almost always of the amount of resources that white people make from this colonial domination. So we can expect that. We know that. We know that FEMA is involved, and we're going to talk about that more. And I, I just want to make the point, though, that while we're facing a reality in which millions of people are going to suffer, even if they don't contract the disease, because they're not going to be able to work, they're not going to be able to pay their bills, there is no health care system in this country that treats all of the people as there is in many, many other countries in the world, there's nothing. People are going to be left with nothing. But meanwhile, what the media is focusing on is the crash of the stock market. Um, the Trump administration last week put $1.5 trillion into Wall Street, is giving $50 billion to the airlines. And now today, Trump is saying he wants $850 billion to put into economic stimulus. And he's talking about relieving the conditions of bankers, of corporations, of, you know, big business. But he's not talking about what the people are going to go through. He's not said a word so far in terms of alleviating financially and any other way the conditions that, that African people are facing in this country and are going to go through with this. So I just saw, in fact, I got on my phone um, some kind of thing, you know, a, a, a briefing or, or something, breaking news, and saying that Marriott is laying off tens of thousands of workers as they shut down a lot of their hotels throughout the country. And there is um, going to be no pay. There'll be no pay. It said that they will be covered by healthcare. Well, we'll see. You know, we'll see. We'll see what kind of co-pays they have to, you know, get together and all that kind of thing. But they will not have any money to pay their bills. 
to pay their mortgages, to pay their rent, pay their taxes or anything. And there's no talk of that, except that, that Trump is saying he wants to give loans to small businesses and maybe some individuals. I don't know about the individuals. He hasn't really mentioned that yet. But at least small businesses get loans. Wall Street bankers get $1.5 trillion that goes right into their bank account. It goes to them. It's and so amazing. this is outrageous. It really is. It really is. And, and when you're talking about the lending, I, I'm just thinking debtor's prisons. You know, mm -hmm. got, got yeah. debt industry going. So, and it, it's, it's particularly outrageous and offensive to hear about this negligent, inconsistent response that only takes into consideration money, profit. Right, money. right. It, it, it's infuriating to see the China and, and, and other mm -hmm. nations um, that the U.S. has spent so much time slandering. Yeah. Response draconian and all this other nonsense, yet they've been able to manage this to some degree. Right. Uh, despite the U.S. media's tirade that we hear against them, could you talk a bit about what we're seeing in China and how that contrasts? I think that I think that's really serious because the U.S. highly criticized the methods used by China mm -hmm. because they did massive. I mean, millions and scores and hundreds of millions of people were under lockdown, mm -hmm. and the U.S. was like, "Oh wow, we would never do that." But they are getting rid of it. They are getting rid of it. You know, it, it's, it's going away. They're beating it. And they did it with the people's interest first, the economy second. And you can see that. And I think that the U.S. might have been somewhat shocked at that. They thought that China would keep its economy going at the expense of the people. And they did not do that. And I saw an, an article that I just want to mention that was in Business Insider about a month ago or three weeks ago, and it was saying, it shows pictures, and it was the, the headline is, jaw-dropping photos show the scale of delivering food and medical supplies to the millions of people still under coronavirus lockdown in China. And it shows, first of all, that they had in Wuhan, which is a huge city of 11 million people, they got 10,000 volunteers, civilian volunteers, who came forward to, who were healthy, who came forward to do this, to cook and prepare and bag up food and medicines to every house that needed it every single day. And, you know, it's just really incredible. It's amazing. And that is its basis in a, in a communist society that people are taken care of. And none of this has come out really in, in the mainstream. Wall Street Journal and, and uh, New York Times didn't talk anything about this. And, you know, just how, um, you know, the people were truly taking care and making sure that every person could be fed, housed, and have the medications that they need it. And that is powerful. Nothing like that is going to happen in this country. And if it is, it's going to be spotty and it's going to be individuals taking it on or organizations like, you know, taking this on. And this is the vacuum that the party is working to step into with the people's war and also with the possibility of building their own quote unquote red cross, which is called the black Ankh. 
um, in which African people would take up and, and serve and be able to mitigate the conditions for other Africans who are caught under colonial terror, such as, as what African people are facing inside the U.S. and around the world today. Thank you so much for that summation, Chairwoman Penny. Um, Jesse, do you have any updates for us on the situation here in Florida and St. Petersburg? I do. Uh, I want to make sure okay, this mic is working. <coughs> I, I just uh, appreciate this whole discussion and I appreciate Black Power 96.3 uh, for being a means by which we can um, really sum these issues up and you know, talk, talk about what's really going on behind the, the nonsense that is coming from the media. And I just want to appreciate really summing up what's happening in China because it is really infuriating to hear the, the hypocrisy of the slander by the United States government against China. Now, uh, Trump is even referring to coronavirus as the China virus, mm -hmm. really? which sounds like, uh, you know, someone's trying to, to push as far away as possible the obvious conclusion many people are coming to that, if anything, it should be called the America virus. Right. right. Was a concoction of U.S. biological warfare uh, that is not wild-eyed conspiracy theory as they like to dismiss it. Um, that's just, that makes the most sense uh, both on all different factors. Like uh, Chairman Amali Chatella said, um, there's, when you do, when you're in, involved in science, uh, there's many different factors that can inform scientific conclusions that you come to. Um, right. The analogy of even like looking at, uh, you know, um, you know, astronomy and things like that, that you don't, you can't actually see up front in, in, in front of you hard evidence that these things are true, that we're able to make deductions and stuff like that based on mm -hmm. what and everything that we can see, all the evidence leads to that conclusion. And the fact that they're like, oh, it's, you know, so draconian and so yeah. authoritarian, and they, I mean, which they always say about China. They always try to make us mm -hmm. uh, believe that China is like some place where if you go there and, and say anything bad about the president and say that he smells bad, you're going to be thrown in a dungeon and tortured or something like that, just like they do about Cuba and everywhere else. When the, the United States has the largest prison population on the planet, yeah, right, in China's, mm -hmm. it's like the only time Trump is reluctant to lock people down is when it's to prevent a a virus from spreading, mm -hmm. but every other day of the week, he's, they're locking down Africans. They mm -hmm. lock half mm -hmm. the prison population in this country is African people, and another third of what's, what's left is indigenous or Latino people. So right. this is like lockdown central for the whole world, and the African yeah. community is constantly in a, in a lockdown. Like Chairman right. Obama says, there's an, an economic quarantine imposed upon the African community yes. every single day under colonialism. So. You know, it's really outrageous, and and I'm I'm angry, frankly. I'm I'm angry uh, at what's happening right now, and I think that both the U.S. Uh, role in in the creation of this crisis and part of the crisis being the U.S.'s response to it, which is just to create another excuse to to intensify the counterinsurgency against African people mm -hmm. and put the interests of the bankers and Wall Street uh, front and center at the expense of, of the people is just, you know, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting. So some updates from the ground here in St. Pete, if you're one of our listeners here on Black Power 96.3, Reparations in Action, which just to reiterate is the program of the Hula Solidarity Movement, speaking to the white community in particular about why we have to stand in solidarity with the black community, with African people, and why more than ever right now, 
right now mm -hmm. we have to take a stand for reparations to the black community. It's not, yes. oh, now we're talking about coronavirus, so reparations is not as relevant. Actually, reparations it's is more, more relevant yeah. than yes. it's ever been because this wouldn't even be happening in a world in which African people had full power and control over their own lives and resources. In, in a world built according to the designs of the Black Power Blueprint, this would not be happening right now. So we have to take a, we have to fight for it. And as Chairman Penny said, like the, it's going to be hell. It's going to be absolute hell. There's no ability. For, I mean, they talk about stay at home. How many people in in California, where it's now shelter in place, don't have a shelter, don't have a home, or living in the streets? Mm -hmm. So I think they said they said the homeless population. Uh, Gavin Newsom, who's the governor, announced that. Um, was it 1.5 million? I mean, it's, it's so huge. Yeah. And, and just to say really quickly, in New York City, that one-tenth of the, or one-seventh, I guess it is, of the school population of New York City is homeless children. That's yeah. a, I mean, you know, this, this is a horrible, horrible system. Yeah, it's horrible, and, and I'm, I'm enraged. Mm -hmm. I really yeah. am, to be honest. I'm very infuriated, and it makes me want to donate even more resources, turn over even more reparations, do more to support the Project Black on to support the Black Power Blueprint, uh, to you know pay reparations to the work of the party and the Uhuru movement. Like I feel more compelled to do that. And this, yes. this is why the party exists: mm -hmm. African mm -hmm. self-government. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the U.S. government is not going to do anything for colonized African working-class right. people in the country. Not a not a darn thing, if I can say that, FCC guidelines. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, we have to be up in arms as white people. We have to do something. We have yes. to with the black community and we have to take this very seriously. Um, yes. Coronavirus in the hands of the U.S. government is just going to be another weapon of genocide against African people in this country. So let's talk about St. Pete and Florida. Um, so St. Petersburg, uh, Richard Christman, the sewage king, uh, who, by the way, coronavirus is alleged <laughs> can be spread through feces. So do not drink the water here in St. Petersburg. <laughs> right. Oh, Christman has continued dumping sewage in the water. Um, that has not stopped. But anyway, Christman came out and made his little press conference, uh, made his little press statement on Facebook that they are going to be taking the uh, drastic measures in the interest of the people in St. Pete. Uh, that includes um, stocking alcohol sales at nine. That's one of them. Wow. That's pretty drastic for the white community. Especially in St. <laughs> Petersburg. Right. Uh, yes. And that they're going to be uh, closing down bars and restaurants? No, they're going to be reducing capacity in bars and restaurants by 50%. And that was pretty much it. And, but he did, I felt like his statement was like, he, was, he had two messages. One was for the white community, which was like, listen, guys, it's okay. Just stop drinking at nine. All right, just stop drinking at nine. Or drink at home. Or drink at home. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you're going to go to the bar, like, can, can half of you stand outside and drink? <laughs> and then his other message for that, what it, which I interpreted as a threat to yeah. the African community, was we will disperse crowds. Yeah. Night revelry will not be tolerated. That's right. What he said. And he said, and don't make me prove it. Right. Don't, don't make me waste precious resources. He was not saying that to white people that are that are right. you know buying drinks at 8:59 p.m. 
at the very end. Yeah, he would never talk to white people like that. That's the voice to the Africans. Exactly. Yeah, it reinforces what we always say in the Hero Solidarity Movement, that there are two Americas. Yeah. Yes. Reality. So there are going to be two responses to the yeah. coronavirus, like you're saying, and he's, whether he's using code or whatever, it's clear that if you're going to have selective enforcement of a lockdown, mm -hmm. it's going to be colonized people that are going to get the, the truncheon, the, the bludgeon, the, the bullet, and uh, it's going to be white people who are able to go out and do these things and then go to their homes, if you have a home. Right. You know, th th thinking about all those vulnerable people out on the streets, that is yeah. terrifying. Not just for them, but for yes. the population, because it seems like the way imperialism operates is this permanent position of it being apart and above from the rest of humanity as yeah. though it's invulnerable from this. That's, right. that's that deep, deep arrogance and blindness. And it, it really is concerning to be in the midst of that. But we have to keep our wits about us. We do. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to say one other thing. I mean, I agree. I totally, we have to be outraged. Nothing could be more blatant that this is about money. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, about yeah. money in the hands like, Jeff Bezos from Amazon is calling on people who get laid off that people who still get to work should donate their sick days to them. He's not paying them. Right. And well, what we just said, Marriott, all these people are making millions, billions of dollars, and they're not paying even the salaries of people who, you know, would be, would be laid off. Chairwoman Penny, could you restate that? I just find that so outrageous. We're talking about Jeff Bezos, right? CEO, yeah, CEO of Amazon, if I'm not mistaken, yes. the richest billionaire the world yes. has ever seen has asked his employees to donate their sick time back to the company. No. To the, the employees that are allowed to stay working uh -huh. should donate their sick days to people who got laid off from Amazon. They should donate their sick days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's what, and it's, I mean it, we have to be furious, and that everything that we see, like like as being said, as Jesse is saying, this is coming down a million times more into the African community because it's a colonial response. And just this morning, on Trump's press conference, you know, he said, "Okay, everything's in place now with with uh, FEMA. We're going to be escalating that. We're going to be ramping it up." And once, you know, we, we're going to talk about FEMA. We're going to talk about FEMA. FEMA is a colonial tool of colonial violence and repression against African people. And everything from Hurricane Katrina to Hurricane Harvey to, um, you know, anything else that, that African people have suffered as, quote, natural disasters, <clears throat> you know, it has proven that over and over again. But Jesse, go ahead. Yeah, well, let, let's get to let's get to FEMA actually. And um, since this discussion has been going by pretty quickly, I'm I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in our outline to first to talk about the National Guard. Yes, yes. Uh, so in the news, it was reported that states are increasingly calling upon their National Guard troops with more than 1,500 soldiers and airmen activated for duty as the coronavirus pandemic has led President Donald Trump and the governors of all 50 states to declare emergencies. So far, Maryland has called upon the largest number of guard troops at 1,000. By midweek, the state will reach 2,200 troops. 
The amount authorized by Governor Larry Hogan, said Lieutenant Colonel Rick Breitenfeldt, spokesman for Maryland National Guard. And uh, Florida, I don't have this information here, but I know Florida, Washington, and um, maybe Penny remembers some of the other states that- uh, Well, California is calling them. They probably have them in now because they're on lockdown pretty much in the San Francisco, I think eight counties, yeah, eight counties. in the Bay Area of California. Right. So, and I mean that, just a quick comment on that. It's pretty obvious. The National Guard is not being called in to help people deal with the symptoms of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. When but they said to give out food. Give out food, please. That's a joke. That's uh, a joke because they stationed them in Westchester County, New York, which is the richest, one of the richest counties in the entire country where the bourgeoisie lives. Yeah. And, you know, it's just north of Queens and the Bronx. So it's they're there. They're not giving out food to rich people. Right. No. The billionaires. As the they're there to keep Africans from coming in and reparating what belongs to them. Exactly. Which is why they which is why the National Guard exists, because the National Guard is, is a manifestation of the colonial state. State. And yes. as Chairman says, the state is the state is the state is the state. It's the state, if it's Darren Wilson shooting down Mike Brown in cold blood in the middle of the, uh, a summer afternoon in Ferguson, or it's the state, if it's the National Guard going to, quote, deliver food to people, you know, in different places. It's the state, and it, it has the same function, no matter which disguise it wears. Right. Its function is to protect the system built on the oppression of African people and to protect the hoarding of wealth and resources in the hands of white people and white power. Mm -hmm. That's why it exists. And we, we know what kind of role the, the National Guard played in the 1960s yeah. uh, struggle for black power at, um, if I'm not mistaken, at Jackson State, at yep. Kent State. So yeah, given this situation, given this colonial, uh, circ these co colonial circumstances and the vulnerable state that colonized and the African working class finds itself in, Let's sum up, let's open up a discussion about the unreadiness of the U.S. healthcare system. How do we understand that? Is, 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 this, just, is this just something that's a product of opportunity mm -hmm. to design here? What are your thoughts on that, Chairwoman Penny? Well, I mean, I, I really, the U.S. was the least prepared, the least prepared. I mean, you, can, you could go to, from what I understand, Senegal and have, you know, a colonized country in which you know African people are starving, but you could have a better response, more testing, and certain responses than you would inside the United States. And I think that uh, I, I, it's just something else that I don't know. To me, really shows that it was bio warfare because the U.S. really didn't think it would come to the U.S. They really didn't think that. You know, they had no preparedness whatsoever. And also the fact that only rich people get health care. Right. You don't get it. They don't have it for the people. Yeah. If, you were, if you were in France, you know, colonial countries, yes. But they do have health care for everybody. They don't in their colonies, but they do in France because of colonialism. We understand that. But inside the United States, everybody fends for themselves in terms of health care. And some of the statistics are that the U.S. has about 2.8 hospital beds for 1,000 people, for every 1,000 people, whereas South Korea and Japan have more than 12 hospital beds per 1,000 people. 
China has 4.3 per 1,000. And the estimate is that with the population of the U.S., which is about 330 million, um, there, there's about 1 million hospital beds that would be available at any given time. Well, actually, it's saying that there's about 1 million hospital beds and that 68% of them are already occupied with other illnesses and people who are in the hospital. So that leaves about 300,000 beds available across the U.S. And it is estimated by people who are doing the math that there could easily be 1 million U.S. cases by the end of April mm -hmm. um, inside this country and that every hospital bed in the United States would be full. So yep. they are not prepared for this. They don't have masks. Right. You know, we'll hear about that. But this is um, this is outrageous because they only expect mm -hmm. wealthy white people to go to the hospital to get treatment in, in this way. They they don't have any intention of treating African people and and the masses, the regular people in this country. So this is another outrage that we're facing, that it shows that U.S. is about the dollar, it's about parasitic capitalism, sucking the blood of African people and the people on the planet Earth, and we owe reparations. Buy and demand, that's all they care about. And you, you can see this visibly if you go out uh, to the stores and see the absence of mm -hmm. sanitizer, the absence of rubbing out, yeah. basic necessities that uh, President Trump uh, what you know stood up there in a press conference on saturday when he declared a state of emergency with all these heads of uh, corporations yeah mm -hmm. the johnson and johnson walgreens walmart target they've all got your back they're right on top of it yeah worries and then yep. today uh penny jesse i, I heard on um I, I think it was npr somebody putting out that uh consumers need to not even buy masks mm -hmm. don't even buy that because the, the hospitals are in such dire need of basic equipment like yeah. face masks, like ventilators, that they can't even afford for you to go out and purchase one. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, so this whole idea that they don't expect the common person to survive this right. is resonating so loudly from everything that they're saying. Yep. But you say that out loud, you say the natural conclusion, and, and they look at you and they, they say, conspiracy theory, oh my goodness, irresponsible, mm -hmm. irresponsible. Um, but yeah, we, we know very, very little about what this thing can actually do. Right. So, right. so caution, I really appreciate the Black Power Blueprint, the African People's Socialist Party, uh, the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project yeah. uh, out there with real science, real information on, on, on what we should do. So let's, let's keep this rolling around. Is there anything that you wanted to say about New Rochelle and the National Guard? Well, we kind of talked about that, but I was wanted to see, I know Jesse yeah. knows something about from Comrade Amanda about working in a hospital. I, yeah, I, I do. I do want to say something about that. And I just want to appreciate everybody who's tuning in online. Uh, Tama Goldberg-Gadini uh, says we should all be enraged. Yes, we should. Mm -hmm. um, Raymond Moses says keep the light of revolution and reparations burning. Uhuru. <laughs> there. Um, and we also want to appreciate uh, Bridget Kenny and uh, Kristen Fortham, Casey Mackey, Virginia Wilson, other people who are tuning in. That's great. And for everyone who's listening, for white people who are listening, I implore you to channel your rage into action. Go into to Black Power Group. Reparations, yes. Reparations. Reparations mm -hmm. in action means mm -hmm. going to <laughs> blackpowerblueprint.com. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Blackpowerblueprint.com. 
and and join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. By the way, our our uh, amazing. I'm sorry, it's BlackPowerBlueprint.org. That's org. Right, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and our reparations recruitment drive for the Uhuru Solidarity Movement um, is being extended through the rest of March. We're still going for our hundred members of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, and we are over a third of the way there. So we want to have our new members. And if you're not yet a member, now is the time to join. Your USM membership card is a ticket to the future. So if you're enraged at your own ruling class, this is a way to make them pay a consequence, make them yes. pay reparations they to have the Black to Power pay. Blueprint. They yes. have to pay the ultimate price. Yes, they do. Said. So yeah, so Amanda Carlozzi, if there's if there's any uh, engineering problems on today's show, I take full responsibility because uh, <laughs> our usual engineer wasn't able to be here. Um, due to work. And that is Amanda Carlozzi, who's also a member of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement and the African People's Solidarity Committee, and also a nurse. And she's been letting us know about the conditions in the hospitals and, and just giving yes. us kind of a frontline view of the complete inadequacy of the so-called U.S. healthcare system, mm -hmm. which, as Chairman says, the U.S. doesn't have a healthcare system. It mm -hmm. has a profit-reaping machine yes, yes. with maybe some hospital beds on display. But... Um, but it's not a healthcare system and you can see that. Like, yeah, they don't have enough masks. They don't have adequate protective gear for nurses. That is just absurd. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of nurses and, and doctors are really concerned about, you know. Taking it home. Yeah, taking yeah. it home. So, and that's a real thing. So yeah, there's that. I think, um, I just wanted to say, because she was saying that they have to wear the same mask, like what, seven times or yeah. something? Yeah, you have to reuse They the don't mask. get a new mask right. each day because they don't have enough. Right. Yeah. And and that there was like a certain floor that was kind of blocked off for coronavirus patients. And now it's the whole hospital. <laughs> like yeah. they're in every single floor to be filled up with coronavirus patients. Mm -hmm. They're getting ready. They're getting, getting ready. Is it yeah. true that they're sort of turning people away? I've heard that on the news that you, if you need to go to the emergency room, you should be expect to be met outside the emergency room with preliminary questions and if you don't meet the they do if you don't meet the you have to have a hundred point four temperature and you have to have a bad cough they won't take you under any other circumstances they're saying that you have to deal with it at home so you could not quite meet that but still be extremely ill and right. if you didn't have any fever reducers right. advil whatever and and cough medicine you what you know so what are you supposed to do you have to go home and that's all you can do can't yeah. go to the doctor can't go to the hospital what if you have diabetes and you're over 60 103 degree fever is no mild situation well, they don't care they're going they're giving all the money to the bankers to the airlines to jeff bezos and amazon and yeah. they don't care well, I, we have we have about seven minutes left, so let's talk about FEMA because the Stafford Act invoked by Trump a few days ago when he declared a, a national state of emergency gives him the ability to basically turn over uh, the quote-unquote management of this crisis to FEMA, which he he said, oh, they're doing a wonderful job, FEMA, you know. And let's let's look at what FEMA in action really looks like, especially for the African community. Let's talk about that. And you mean in, in, in the past and, and now? Yes, let's yeah. look at previous examples. Okay, so FEMA, remember, was um, deployed into New Orleans at yeah. Hurricane Katrina in, what was that, 2005? 
And I think that there are pictures ingrained in our brains of what happened then, um, that African people were, all white people left. They left the city. Africans were stuck there because they had no transportation often or did not have the means to go stay in a hotel somewhere or drive 200 miles or whatever you had to do to get a hotel. They, they couldn't do that. So by the tens of thousands, African people were stuffed in that, remember that sports dome? Yep, yes. They turned that, they just put cots up there. They had about 12, you know, toilets, no showers, the toilets were overflowing. Uh, it was hot, there was no air conditioning. It was, you know, it was hideous and thousands and thousands and thousands of African people stuffed into the sports dome with little tiny cots, uh, whole families, children, elderly, everything. It was absolutely colonial violence in the deepest sense. And then, you know, we see Africans, remember Africans were trying to cross the bridge to get out of the city and then they were gunned down mm-hmm. by um, forces. FEMA or other um, forces of the state, the colonial state, attacking them. I remember seeing pictures of of whole families on the roof, nobody rescuing them, the water's coming up, or families in in their attic, the water's coming up higher to the third floor, the second floor, um, that no rescue whatsoever, they waited forever, no water, nothing, and then you saw, you know, Africans walking through this vile, filthy, putrid water that, that was flood water that had come in that had every kind of disease in it, every kind of feces in it, even dead bodies in it. It showed that. People floating through there, dead bodies of humans, also animals. And they had to walk through. They had to carry their children through this water or carry their grandmother's uh, um, through this water, and then African people, I don't know what the number was, but tens of thousands, if not into the hundreds of thousands, were put on buses and sent to Houston, Texas, and other cities all around the Midwest and South, where they've never been able to return to New Orleans. And, and then in the subsequent, in the wake of that, the um, people, you know, they lost their houses. And, and they talked about, I, saw, I heard many radio shows where African people had had a house in, in one of the few instances in the United States, in the Ninth Ward, that had been passed down from grandmothers, even from great-grandmothers. They'd had it in their families for many generations, but they had to sell those houses to developers, to white developers and gentrifiers, um, because they couldn't, you know, they needed money. They had nothing. They had nothing. So they couldn't, they'd lost their houses. And then that, of course, is how gentrification happens. And from what I understand, New Orleans now is completely different than it was prior to Hurricane Katrina because of gentrification, which is another phase of colonialism, domestic colonialism inside the borders of the United States that pushes African people out as white people want to come back. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more, you know, um, there was the whole, remember Brad Pitt and all these celebrities gave, um, what was it, different kinds of portable housing or trailers. 
And then a year or so later, the people were suing him because they were all moldy and they were all broken down and they didn't work. And he was like, well, it wasn't my fault. I, I was trying to do a good thing. Um, you know, just the whole thing. Uh, but it certainly was something that pierced the world's heart, you know, that, that was just out there for people to see the raw, naked character of this vicious, vicious system of parasitic capitalism um, and the colonial domination. How could you, you could never say that that was racism. That was colonialism raw, clear for everybody to see. People saw it all around the world. And it was actually at, in that situation where Africans, the chairman met Africans in other parts of the world who were like, we need our own Red Cross. And that's where chairman came up with the idea of the black onk that African people would be able to, to, to administer to their own people, their own bring resources and, and do it in, as an anti-colonial stance and front of the African revolution. And I just want to say too, Hurricane Harvey, even members of the African People's Socialist Party were caught in their house as the water came up to the top floor and had no, there was, you know, they didn't know if they were going to be rescued or not, or if they were going to die. And that, you know, finally at the 12th hour, people, somebody came in a boat and, and got them out. But this is, this is typical colonialism. And, you know, and these, both of these situations were administered by, um, by, by FEMA, by FEMA as a colonial um, administration of African, the African population inside the U.S. That's what it was about. That's what it's going to be about now. And we're going to see this all over. And I just want to say quickly that in Haiti, 300,000 Africans were killed in that earthquake, if you remember, in 2010. And they sent mercenaries, they sent troops, they sent UN troops, all kinds of troops in there. And African people are still suffering from that. They have not recovered today in Haiti. So I know we're at time, but you know maybe we can talk about this more next week because it's so serious. And meanwhile, white people are making millions and millions and millions of dollars. And people gave to people in Haiti and they never got it. They never got a cent of what people donated from all over the planet. That was administered by Bill Clinton, and it, he, he still has it in his bank account. It has never gone to African people. So African people are going to be free. The African People's Socialist Party is absolutely clear that they will govern themselves, have their resources back, and they're calling on white people to extend the African Revolution to the pedestal of white society and pay reparations, pay back what is owed to African people. Uhuru. I know we have to close out, but I, I just want to appreciate this whole program and I want to echo the call for, for us in the white community to stand with this African community-led people's war against coronavirus and against colonialism. Yes. Uh, the virus is an offspring of colonialism. And um, the development for Africa, developmentafrica.org is the website of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project. Please check it out. There's a really helpful guide. We want to encourage 
you know, everybody to study that and implement those best practices for how to keep your, you and your family and your neighbors safe during this time. And also to understand that a people's war requires resources. So part of the people's war is for those of us in the white community to turn over the resources as reparations to this effort, to this struggle, to this movement that is fighting to bring real solutions rooted in the community, rooted in the genuine interests of the people. This is the place to be uh, if you want to stand on the right side, on the winning side. So just want to encourage people to do that. And again, developmentforafrica.org is where you can get more information um, about the whole campaign and strategy that the Uhuru movement is putting forward. Blueprint.org is where you can actually put resources directly towards the party's uh, self-government mm -hmm. program and strategy on the ground. Uhuru. 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 Information. Really encourage everyone to heed that information. Go to those sites. And I want to thank Chairwoman Penny Hess out in St. Louis uh, for joining us as a co-host on this show. I want to thank uh, Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, uh, for engineering this show and co-hosting it with us. And encourage everyone to tune back into Reparations in Action, 12 p.m. Yeah. Standard Time next weekend. I'm sorry, next week we will be here. The uh, Uhuru Solidarity Movement Convention, April 18th through 19th. Stay tuned to uhurusolidarity.org for information on that. The Reparations Study Group is every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can get information about that on the website or Facebook page. And O'Malley taught me 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Um, you can find that on either Facebook or YouTube. And of course, don't forget to join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement during our Reparations Recruitment Month at uhurusolidarity.org slash join. My name is Jamie Simpson. I want to thank Black Power 96.3 for giving us this hour every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Yeah. And talk to you next week. Uhuru. Uhuru.